Amen. Well, I wasn't quite sure what today's attendance would be like because I know the holiday is coming and I know what happens during holidays. And, uh, but I guess next week will be the true test on how many of you are actually leaving out of Samarang and, and going on a holiday somewhere. But just to let you know, because I've already been asked this several times, the church is not closing. So no matter how big the holiday is, no matter how many people may be gone, we're still having church. So if you're here with us, praise God. Or if you're out somewhere else in the world, then tune in on YouTube and you can watch us live, just as always. All right, well, praise God. We're thankful for all of you uh, that are here today. Uh, Brother Darius, did your sister make it? Sister, oh, good to see you. Darius's sister just came into Indonesia this weekend, so welcome. I know it was a difficult time for you to actually get here, but your parents are glad to see you, your brother's glad to see you, and we're happy to have you here with us today as well. Amen. Praise God. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going through the book of Romans, and today we are going to finish chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to that, chapter 3? I'm going to read the last five verses, verses 27 to 31. And as you're turning to that, today's sermon title is Foes and Friends of Faith. Foes meaning enemies. Foes and friends of faith. All right, so maybe we'll be looking at today's verses a little bit differently. So find that, would you? Romans chapter 3, verse 27 to 31. Stand with me, if you will. Let's read this together. Where is boasting, then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude, I love this, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Amen. You may be seated. You may have noticed in last week's sermon, the Resurrection Sunday uh, sermon, Paul began to talk about faith. It's not the first time he's talked about faith. He mentions it also in chapter 1, but beginning in chapter 3, he really begins to drive home the point of faith. That it's all about faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is to trust in the Lord Jesus with all your heart, with everything in your life, casting all things upon Christ. And Paul is going to begin not only teaching about faith, but how important faith is, how powerful faith is. And so today we are also going to see something about faith. More specifically, we're going to see foes and friends of faith. Meaning that as we look over these verses again, as we read through them again throughout the sermon, we're going to stop at least four times. We're going to stop in certain areas and ask the question, is what, is what Paul is talking about, do I see right now a foe, an enemy of faith, or do I see a friend of faith? And today we're going to make four stops. 
And when we do, let's ask that question. Is this a foe against faith or is this a friend? Something that actually encourages faith, strengthens faith in you. Beginning today, let's just review once again last week's, last weekend's message. Good Friday, the day that Jesus went to the cross for you and me. The day that Jesus, the one who was perfect and holy, righteous, the one who is the eternal God, made flesh. He went to the cross to bear your sin upon himself. The one who was innocent took upon your guilt. And in your place, he was crucified and bore upon himself the wrath and the judgment of God. He died the death that was meant for you. That's what happened on what we call Good Friday. The love of God was displayed at the cross and the wrath of God was displayed at the cross. And then when we got together on Sunday, we celebrated because that same Savior who died rose again. Champion, victorious over death itself and sin, who today is exalted on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one day, he's coming back again. Amen? But we talk about the death of Jesus and all that he went through and all that he endured. We talk about the resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and today his exaltation. And so Paul begins now, finishing chapter 3, by asking the question, okay, so now, where is boasting among you? Foes and friends of faith. Let's look at the first. The first stop we make is right at the very beginning of our text. And we stop at the topic of boasting. Let me ask you before we get into it. Boasting. Do you think that's a foe of faith or a friend of faith? Well, today we're calling this a foe, a great enemy of faith. Let's see what Paul says. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. What is boasting? What does it mean when somebody is boasting? Somebody who boasts is apparently very confident in themselves, confident in their strength, confident in their ability, confident in who they are. It's giving yourself credit for the things that you accomplish in life. It's exalting yourself, putting yourself higher than other people around you, boasting, exalting yourself. It has a lot to do with selfishness as well. Boasting is when someone simply says, hey, everybody, look at me. Hey, everyone, look what I have done in life. That's boasting. Paul says, okay, consider the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Who among us can boast in such truth? Let me show you a picture real quick. If you see that above me, this was a picture taken in the 1940s. This is a U.S. soldier by the name of Desmond Doss. In World War II, America was involved in two theaters of war, one in Europe, one also in Japan. Desmond Doss was in the war that was happening in Japan. He was a part of a platoon that had to go to Okinawa Island of Japan, and his company of soldiers 
they went to battle at a place called Hacksaw Ridge. Now, Hacksaw Ridge, when you approach it, it was a cliff, a, a cliff that was 350 feet in the air. And the only way the soldiers could go up that cliff was by climbing cargo ropes all the way up to the top. When the soldiers got to the top, the soldiers themselves nicknamed the top of that cliff, that ridge, the gates of hell. Because they knew that when you reach the top, you will see nothing but bloodshed and death all around you. Now Desmond Doss, he joined the military and refused to ever carry a rifle. And he was asked, why? What kind of a soldier, soldier are you? In his words, he said, well, in the war, while people are taking lives, I'm going to save lives. And so he became a medic, a medical assistance soldier in the war. And he went on top of that mountain, on top of that ridge called Hacksaw Ridge. You know, in that battle, they estimate almost 900 U.S. soldiers were killed and 3,000 Japanese soldiers killed. And at some point, all the American soldiers got down from the mountain. They retreated in order to regroup and, and, and wait for reinforcements. But Desmond Doss refused to leave the ridge. He stayed there without a weapon for one purpose. He went throughout the battlefield looking for anybody he could save. And so even though in Hacksaw Ridge, there were still bombings from the U.S. Navy. There were still Japanese soldiers searching for anybody who survived so they could kill them on top of that ridge. And in the midst of all of that, Desmond Doss, crawling on his hands and knees, looked for anybody who was survivor, a survivor. And when he found one, he would drag them out of harm's way, take them to the edge of the cliff, tie a rope harness around them, and lower them down to waiting soldiers who could take them and get medical treatment. And every time Desmond Doss found a soldier and saved him down that cliff, he would just pray, Lord, help me find just one more. Just one more, Lord. And then he would go out even right near the enemy forces, trying to find anybody still breathing, anybody that still could be saved. He saved many that didn't have limbs, no arms, or no legs. He saved those that were barely breathing. He saved those that were already blinded or, or deafened by all the things that were happening. Do you know, in the end of all that, Desmond Doss, he saved 75 soldiers. And that included a few Japanese soldiers as well. Because in his eyes, a human being needed to be saved, and he did whatever he could to save them. And as the years went by, what do you think about those soldiers that he saved? They would go on to live a life. They would go on to get married, have kids and grandchildren. They would work, have a career, live a full life. Do you think that if you were to ask them about how all this came about, do you think any of those 75 soldiers would boast to you about how they got themselves off of that mountain? how they were courageous to find a way out? No. They would tell you the only reason why we're alive was because there was a soldier who saved us. That's it. In fact, what's interesting is if you Google search or, or read a book about this war, 
It'll mention the 75 soldiers that he saved, but you won't find their names. I actually find it very difficult to even find the names of those soldiers Desmond Doss saved. Why is that? It's not because they're not important. It's because in the light of the honor due to Desmond Doss, nothing else compares to that man. Such a hero. And that is a, an incredible man, and that is an incredible story. But I know a better one. I know a story of the eternal God coming into this world and rescuing sinners, enemies of God, just like you and me. I know a man named Jesus of Nazareth who went to the cross to pay for your sin. And Jesus alone, he saved you from the literal gates of hell. Amen? Those soldiers would say, I'm only alive because of a soldier. We say, we only have life. We are only saved by a Savior named Jesus. So Paul says rightly, who among you can boast about what you have done in this salvation plan? None of us. Do you know there is no boasting in the presence of God? None. Do you know there was a creature somewhere back in time, a creature who began to boast in heaven. He was a cherub, an angel, an anointed angel named Lucifer. And because of his beauty, his power, the authority God gave to him, he began to exalt himself in the presence of God. And he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend that mountain. I will sit on that throne. And when boasting entered, do you know what God did? He cast him out of heaven. Jesus would one day tell his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Just like that. The moment boasting raised its ugly head in heaven, God cast it out like lightning striking the earth. Who will ever go to heaven and say, I'm here because of me? I'm here because of what I have done for myself. No one. In fact, if you're planning on boasting in heaven, just remember how fast lightning falls. There is no boasting in the presence of God. If I were to ask you today, are you saved? And if you think about it, and your mind starts thinking about, well, yes, I'm saved because, well, I went to church today when a lot of people are on holiday. If you start thinking about what you've been doing in life, when I ask you, are you saved? How many hours you spend in prayer? Or minutes. How many hours you spend reading the Bible? Or seconds. If you start trying to contemplate those things, you're going about it all wrong. You may be boasting if that's your thought. On the other hand, if I ask you, are you, are you saved? and your mind immediately pictures Jesus dying for you on the cross, giving his life and bleeding for you, and knowing that through him you are saved, that's someone who knows there is no boasting. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. It's only because of him. Last week we read a few phrases in our text, like justification or salvation, being made right with God, it says that we are justified 
freely by God's grace. Freely. God does not demand payment. God doesn't put you on loan. There's nothing that you have to pay God back about. He gives it freely to all who will believe. It also said last week that Jesus was the sacrifice whom God set forth. It's God who sent his son to you. It's God who sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice for all our sin. Not you. You had nothing to do with it. It was God and his love for you. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, in some of the last words he said, it is finished. He alone finished the work of redemption. Jesus and Jesus alone. Without your help, without your input, Jesus did it all. Amen. Where is boasting among us? Jesus deserves all the glory for salvation. Amen? But you know that there are many people today, they'll hear those words, it is finished, and yet people will say, um, no, it's not. Because we come to the next problem. No, I just gave it away. This is a foe of faith. Number two, here is another foe to faith. It's the idea or it's the attitude, it's just this way of thinking or belief that faith plus your works equals salvation. In other words, you're not saved until you have faith and you have works, and then God will save you. That is an enemy to true saving faith. That is a foe of faith. Now let's see what Paul says. Verse 28, therefore, we conclude. Here is the conclusion. A man or woman or young person is justified by faith. Now Paul could have ended, ended it with that, just, just that alone. We conclude that a man is justified by faith. Amen. But just to make sure you get it, he says a man is justified by faith apart from, separate from any of your works, any of your deeds, any of your deeds according to the law of God. A man or woman is justified by faith apart from your performance and your works. Now you'll find that a lot of these things that we're talking about today are very much related. Faith and works. These two things, if you're a Christian here today, which I hope most of you, if not all of you are, but if you're a Christian here today, these two things mean a whole lot to you. Faith means a lot and works mean a lot. Because when I trust in Jesus, when I know that he died for my sin, when I know that he did everything that was needed to be done to save me and I give him my life, now, I say, Lord Jesus, show me what to do. Show me what to do. Let me see your word. Let me learn how to walk in obedience to you. Why? Because I give you my life. Yes, every Christian, we have faith. 
And we want to do works that will glorify the name of our Savior. Amen? Amen. But when it comes to the moment of salvation, when it comes to that moment where God took you from death to life, when you went from being an enemy of God to having peace with God, when God justified you, made you righteous, saved you, that very moment happened when you simply trusted in the name of Jesus Christ. The moment you had faith in Christ, you were saved. Now, I like to think a lot about our life as Christians. I like to think a lot that it, it's, it's much like a fruit-bearing tree. You know, if you ever go on YouTube, watch what happens when they fast-forward the process, but when someone plants a seed in the soil, and then they speed up the process, and you watch how this thing explodes into life. But in a, in a fruit-bearing tree, the first thing that happens is a seed is, is planted in the ground. And that seed, the first thing it will do when it germinates and it opens up, it goes downward. The first thing it does is it builds a root system beneath. And you'll see it begin to grow down and then spread out this way, to the left and to the right and all around. And once the root system is done, life begins to flow through those roots and then you've got the plant climbing up through the dirt. Before you know it, there's a tree and there are branches that grow into other branches and leaves and eventually fruit. When I think of that, I think that's like the Christian life. It begins by the seed of God's word planted in our hearts. The seed of the promises of God. Or the seed, just even one verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's like a seed that drops in the soil of your heart. And you believe. You believe in the word that was given. And life explodes. And as the roots grow down, that's your faith. Your faith begins to grow. Underneath the surface, there's faith living in our hearts and in our minds and our spirit. And as that root structure begins to happen, all of a sudden life is just flowing through those roots and we bear fruit in life. Now down in that roots, down in the roots where there's faith, that's the moment of salvation. That's where salvation is. It's down beneath. It's in the heart already working in you. Saved, a child of God. And what happens as a result? Your life begins to grow. Branches sprout. Leaves grow. And eventually, fruit. And what kind of fruit grows from that life that God gives to you? There's many kinds of fruit. I think of our worship to God. Our love and adoration toward God in heaven. That's the fruit of a Christian life. I also think of just communion with the Lord, wanting to know Him more, being drawn to His Word, coming here to sing songs of thanksgiving. All these things are a result of life that is growing inside of you. I also think of fruit as certainly obedience, being drawn to God's Word, and when you read something, that contradicts what you're doing, you say, oh Lord, forgive me for my sin. That's fruit. 
And eventually that fruit continues to grow and you will learn to love one another. Just like Christ loves you. That's a big love. That's a great love. And you might find it hard to love some people today. But as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus, as his life is in you, and you are maturing as a believer in Jesus, he teaches you how to love the way he loves you. We love others, and we also grow to be more like Jesus. To me, that's the greatest part, to grow in his characters. I want to be more like Jesus. And if that's your desire today, that's called fruit. That's what's growing out of your life today because there's faith in you, because you're a saved individual, now a child of God. But you see, some people see salvation as a two-step process. In other words, step one, Jesus had to die for me. Step two, I have to perform as best as I can. And then maybe God will save me. That's a lie. Some people think, okay, it begins with faith in Jesus, but then you better start proving it you better start showing God how good you really are. And then maybe if you do enough, you do it long enough, you do it good enough, then maybe God will save you. That's a lie, my friends. Paul says we are justified by what? Faith. Faith and our works? No. Justified by faith apart from your works. Trusting in Jesus sets us free. Amen. We have a sister here in church today. One of our sisters shared with me her testimony some years ago when she converted to Christianity. And I might not get it exactly right. Maybe later on after service, she knows who she is probably. Once I tell the story, you can correct me if, I, if I've misspoken but it was something like this. When she knew that the God of the Bible was the true God and that he sent his son to die for us, her heart began to stir up to know him, to be saved by him. And after talking with some people, there are many people who knew her and tried to encourage her by saying to become a Christian, to have faith in Jesus, you've got to stop doing this, this, and that. And you have to start doing this, this, and that. You have to stop thinking this way and start thinking that way. You have to stop saying these things and start saying these things. And as you can imagine, that became very burdensome and overwhelming. And one day, this sister of ours now said to me, I decided I'm just going to say yes to Jesus. Instead of just saying, no, I can't do that. No, I shouldn't do that. No, I shouldn't think that way. How about I just say yes to Jesus? And that spark of faith towards Jesus Christ not only saved her, but today, daughter of God, serving the Lord and growing and growing in faith. God has blessed her. God's been so good to her. And it's been a privilege of mine to see her and like so many of you, growing in their Christian life. It all begins with simplicity, like someone saying, yes, Lord Jesus, or just calling on the name of Jesus. 
believing in him. That's the moment of salvation. This is the salvation that God declares to us. It's about trusting in Jesus. But imagine, if we have to earn salvation by performing and doing the works, doesn't that mean that when we are finally saved, we have something to boast about? Right? If God has to wait for you to do enough and then he saves you, then you have something to boast about. How are you saved? Well, yes, Jesus died for me, but I also did this, this, and that. And we already know how God feels about boasting. He will not have it. So God says, I'll do the saving. You do the trusting, I'll do the saving. And I'm so thankful that's the way God works. When you trust, when you trust in Jesus, you receive what you have not earned. And what you receive is eternal. And you know, that's the very definition of what we call grace. Grace is receiving something that you did not earn. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. God freely gave you a gift. That's grace. And I love how Paul basically sums up point one and two today. He does it in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight to 10. Here's what Paul says. For by grace, say by grace. Liven up everybody. By grace you have been saved through faith. Say through faith. Very good. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in other words, salvation happens by the grace of God through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Saved, made righteous, child of God. And then once God gives you new life, once you are born again in your spirit, once you are made a child of God, then Paul says we are his workmanship. We are created new by God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First, we believe and we're saved. And as we grow in that salvation, we become fruitful and we desire to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful phrase that comes out of Ephesians chapter two and the verse that we just read from Romans. It's been around for several years, but I love how it goes. And it's something like this. How are we saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do you agree with that today? Is that your belief? Amen? If that's what you believe, you are in agreement with Paul. You are in agreement with the Spirit of God. Amen. So, so far we've seen a foe of faith in our boasting, in believing that Salvation only comes by faith plus the works that we do. Here's another one. Number three, religion. How about religion? Is religion a foe or a friend to faith? I shall call it 
a foe to faith. Here's why. Verse 29 and 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Religion. In the world today, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of religions. And in all these religions, they believe that either there is one God and there are many ways to go to that one God. Whatever suits you. Whatever path you want to take. There's one God and there are many ways to God. Some religions preach that. Other religions say, no, there are many gods who require many different things. And which one do you serve? Well, that's up to you. Have it as you want it. There are many that think that depending on where you're from, there's like a local God that you serve. I was witnessing to somebody in the hospital here in Samarang who was coming from one of the world religions. And when I began to speak to her about Jesus and praying for her and telling her about the gospel, she wanted to hear more. And when she explained that she wanted to hear more, she said, I want to hear more about the American God. Now, at first, I thought that was kind of funny. But that's no surprise to me because that's what religions teach. Depending on who you are, what culture you belong to, are you from Asia, America, Europe? Well, then there's a God for you. So find out what he wants and do what he says. This is what world religions do. And no matter what religious person you're talking to, no matter what, they may say they believe that their God is merciful. They may say that their God is gracious. But keep listening. Keep listening. You'll find out that while they say their God is gracious or they say their God is merciful, it's only merciful after they have performed all they can do to gain that mercy. Their God is only gracious after they say the right kinds of prayers and they do it the same amount of times every day. Only after they are baptized. Only after they do some sort of ceremonious tradition. Only after those things do they receive grace and mercy. Do you know, if you've got to do something to receive grace and mercy, it's no longer grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is free. And no matter what religious person you're talking to, they might say these kinds of words that sound like Christian terms, but they don't mean what, me, what we mean by these terms. They still have to work to gain the grace and the mercy of their God. But this verse that we just read shows us there is one God. There is one God and there is one way of salvation. God who sent his only son to die for us. One God, one way of salvation, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All religions, they also probably talk about faith or what they call faith. But you know that the difference between 
religious faith and a Christian's faith, the difference between the two is the object of that faith. In other words, world religions, you'll find that they have a lot of faith in themselves. To do enough, to do it right, to do it long enough. In Christianity, our faith, 100%, is in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. By Him we are saved, not of ourselves, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's either faith in a man or faith in Jesus. Therefore, religions, religions are a foe to faith. Religion is man's idea. How do I get to God? But the gospel is God's idea. And it's not about us going up. It started with God coming down to us and dying for us. Remember that. Religion is man's idea. The gospel is God's idea. John tells us the same thing. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. This is what John says. But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, or we say born again, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How did this born-again experience happen to us? John says, number one, it's not by blood. It doesn't matter if my parents believe in Jesus. That doesn't make me a Christian. That doesn't make me saved. I need to believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter what nation I belong to, what culture I'm a part of, who my ancestors are. I need Jesus. It's not by blood. It's also not by the will of the flesh. I can wish many things. I can wish that today I will look at my bank account and there will be a million dollars. Oh, I can wish it all day long. And I'll check it tonight and you know what I'll find? Not a million dollars. We can wish all we want to, but no amount of wishing makes us saved. No amount of wishing makes me rich or makes me a child of God. And it's also not the will of man. This was not man's idea. This wasn't man's story. This wasn't man trying to figure out, okay, what kind of a good story can we tell people in order for them to have eternal life? It didn't come from man. How could it? We learned last week that man is filthy, sinful. By very nature, we are children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We don't know how to get saved. We don't know how to save ourselves. We need the Spirit of God to move upon our hearts. It's not by blood. It's not by wishful thinking. And it's not my idea. It's not my plan. It is of God and God alone. Religion is from man, but salvation, the gospel, is from God. Last, number four, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. So I'll ask, what do you think? Are the Ten Commandments a foe to the faith or a friend? Friend. And not just a friend, 
But every commandment is a friend. So the Ten Commandments are friends to faith. Let's look at the last verse. After all this now, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, being saved by faith, he took our punishment. He took our sin upon himself. He rose from the dead. He lives forevermore. We live, we, we trust in a living Savior. Today, by faith in him alone, we are saved from our sin. We have everlasting life. And now Paul says, what do you think? Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, just for this moment, when we say the law, let's think of the Ten Commandments. There's more to it, like the ceremony law in the Old Testament, but for right now, let's just think about the Ten Commandments, the law of God. You know what they are. If not, there they are up on the screen for you. The Ten Commandments, if I were to summarize them in my own words, commandment number one, do not have any other gods before the one true God of heaven and earth. Number two, do not make an idol for yourself in this life and worship it. Number three, do not dishonor the name of God. Number four, remember the Sabbath. This means much more than a physical rest from our work week. It means finding rest spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the Sabbath. Number five, honor your mother and your father. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie or bear false witness about somebody. And number 10, do not covet. Don't wish you had something that belonged to somebody else. Don't be jealous of what other people have. Do not covet. The question is, now that we know that it's through faith in Jesus that he did all the work for salvation, it's through faith in Jesus that I'm saved, the question is, well then does that mean that faith somehow give us, gives us the allowance to take these Ten Commandments and say, don't need it. Toss them aside. They don't matter. They mean nothing. They're no good. We don't need to know them, live by them, or even read them. Get rid of them. I live by faith. Paul says, certainly not. Absolutely not. That's his way of saying, no, you can't do that. God's law, these Ten Commandments, they are friends for our faith. By trusting in Jesus, by having faith in Jesus, Paul says we establish the law. Do you know what that means? It's like taking a tabletop like this and taking, let's say, the law, and we establish it, and we put it on top, and we say, behold the law of God. We uphold it, and we look and say, this is good. Look, everybody, the law of God. We establish it. We set it up, and we confess it is good. How is that? How are the Ten Commandments our friend? Well, if you're like me, if you're like any human being on the face of the earth, and you look at those Ten Commandments, and you begin to read them, how long does it take until you know you've already broken these commandments? I mean, when I read down the list, the ones that say, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, 
This is the first thing we learn when we're kids. We want something another kid wants, and I'm going to take it. We covet it. We take it. We steal it from them. And when mom says, hey, what happened to that person's toy? I don't know. Three commandments broken by the age of three. And the more we live in life, and the more we go through the process of life, you find out, wow, I am breaking all of these commandments. There are moments in my life where I set up an idol. There's something that comes in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Instead of spending time with him, when football season comes, I'm watching football games all day on Monday rather than read my Bible. I just set up an idol. And football, a sport, is gaining my attention more than God. We look through some of these and say, do not murder. Haven't done that. But Jesus says, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. Do not commit adultery. I'm good with that too. But Jesus says, man or woman, when you look at another and you have lust in your heart for them, you've already committed the sin of adultery. Oh, how guilty are we. Sounds like an enemy to me, but it's not. You know what the law does? It bankrupts you. Bankrupts you. It keeps you from coming to God and saying, Lord, here's what I have to offer you. No, no, no. You are guilty, a guilty sinner, and you've broken the commandments of God. What do you have to bring? Nothing. Empty hands. I have nothing to offer you, God, except I trust in you. That's it. It bankrupts you. It makes you poor in your spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you come to God empty-handed, you know you're a sinner, you confess your guilt, and you turn to Christ, that means the law is a best friend to you because it's the law of God that leads you to Jesus Christ. It leads you to Jesus where you put all your faith in him, you put all your trust in him, the one who obeyed the law perfectly. And not only did he obey the law, he also at the cross paid the penalty of the law that you should have paid. He obeyed it and he paid the penalty of it that you were supposed to pay. And once I trust in Jesus and I admit my, I admit my sins before him, he then fills me with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit draws me to Christ. The Holy Spirit draws me to Jesus and I want to know him more and I want to obey him. I want to learn what it means to love God. The Bible says to love God with all your heart. How many of us do that, honestly? You might say today, yes, I love God with everything. Yeah, I'm sure you can love him more than you do right now. And I want to love God more. And I want to see what's happening in my life that's keeping me from loving God more. I want to love God more and I want to love people more. Not just the ones that I call brothers and sisters in Christ, but I want to love even my enemies. I want to learn to do that. I want to be like a Desmond Doss who's willing to save even the ones who are trying to kill him. I want to love others the way Jesus loves us. Jesus says, love your enemies. Let me conclude the sermon today 
We talk about foes of faith boasting. Faith plus works equals salvation, religion. And you know what's interesting? We're not afraid of these foes of faith. We're not afraid to boast every once in a while. That's what social media is for. We can boast all we want to, and we do. We love to brag about ourselves and brag about what we've done and brag about what our kids do. We're not afraid of boasting. When it comes to faith plus works, there are a lot of people that are not afraid of that because they want to think that salvation is in their control. It's in my hands. It's in my power. I can do it. And there are people who don't think religion is so bad. It's a friend. And so we can worship God however we want to. In the end, we're all going to make it. Let's all hold hands with each other and sing Kumbaya. People are not afraid of these foes of faith. Do you know what they are afraid of? The Ten Commandments. People look at the Ten Commandments and they shy away. They run away. They close their eyes. They close their ears. And they say, I don't want to hear it. The one friend that we have is the one that we so often run away from. Let the Ten Commandments be a reminder of how much we need a Savior. And it leads us to faith in Jesus. Amen. Musicians, as you prepare to come, as we prepare to sing a closing song today, let me just share this last verse from Paul, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Let's sum this all up by what Paul says here. But God forbid, he says, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul said that. Paul, who had many things that people would exalt him about, he was a Roman citizen. Everybody wanted to be a Roman citizen. As a Jew, he was a perfect Jew. Everybody wanted to be a perfect Jew. As a Christian, who did more than Paul? Who traveled more, planted more churches, spoke in more tongues, did more miracles, saved more people than Paul? Paul had so much he could have boasted about, but what did he say? God forbid that I boast in anything except this one thing. Jesus died for me. I've got one message to you, Paul says, Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. Let that be our attitude. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Sisters around me and brother, let's sing a song. Let's all stand together.